If you want to build a successful company, you'll need to learn how to be selfish. To take it a step further, before you get too far with an idea or a customer, you might want to make sure there's the possibility for you to be selfish, that you can build a strategy around being selfish. All startup ideas are not built equally, and you should know your selfish score, a metric we made up at Tacklebox that is frighteningly accurate for predicting the potential growth of a company from the start. Today, we'll talk through that. Today, we're going to teach you to be selfish. I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. Today's episode is brought to you by Tacklebox as always, but in light of the theme, I'm going to be a bit selfish too. If you like this podcast, if you like the founder interviews and whatever it is that these solo episodes are, it would mean the world to me if you did three things. First, leave a five-star rating. Second, leave a nice review. Third, text this podcast to a friend. Maybe toss it in your group chat. Maybe even set it as the logo of your Facebook profile pic. Whatever feels right, that's how we'll grow. And you're not going to do it unless I ask, no matter how much I want you to. That plug won't be at all successful. And by the end of the podcast, you'll know why. To clarify the selfish thing, I'm not talking founders of WeWork or Uber selfish. I'm talking about a different type of selfish. Your customers have a million options at any given moment, and you need to be able to reach out and grab their attention. This is zero-sum stuff. You've got to take their attention from something else. And if you're just starting out, you're going to have to take their attention a lot. Most products need more than six interactions before there's a purchase. You've got to build up that trust. This type of selfishness is counterintuitive. It requires a ridiculous amount of empathy and compassion. At Tacklebox, we calculate our startup's ability to take attention in what we call the selfish score. It's an absurdly accurate measure for early organic growth, the type of growth you have to have before you've got testimonials and word of mouth and all the other things that'll help you push forward, the really hard type of growth. Knowing the components of the selfish score allow you to understand how you'll grow early and they allow you to optimize for them. So with that in mind, let's talk about Purell and let's talk about Jaws. There's a screenwriter that sits near me at WeWork. Right next to his computer monitor is a big piece of paper he's positioned to stare him in the face all day. The paper is old and crumpled. It looks kind of sweaty. I think he brings it to all his big meetings. For over a year, I had no idea what was on that paper, but I was absurdly curious. The font's too small for me to snoop. But then one day, he made a mistake. He stole my Purell. I work at an open office plant at WeWork, and I have Purell on my desk. I'd had it there for a few months, and he'd asked to use it a couple of times. Then, I went traveling for a few weeks, and when I came back, my Purell was gone. I was about to ask for it back when I thought better. If I left it at his desk, I'd be able to Marie Kondo up my space a little bit, and then when I used the Purell, I could finally read that piece of paper he stares at. And so I did. The paper is titled Key Questions, and it's a list of 10 literary prompts. They're clearly meant for writing a movie, but they're great for telling any sort of compelling story. Entrepreneurs are storytellers. This paper is pure gold for us. I could honestly do a full season of Idea to Start Up on the 10 prompts on this piece of paper, but today we're just going to talk about the best one. It's the first one. And it's circled, starred, underlined, and has two giant arrows drawn in Sharpie pointing at it. It says, What event starts my story such that the crisis or climax must occur? When I said you need to be selfish at the beginning of the episode, I meant you're going to need to ask for things from people a lot. Most of the time, it's for a genuinely good reason. You've built something that you think can help them. Unfortunately, that means nothing to your customers. They're going to be bombarded by crap all day, just like movie studios are probably bombarded by crappy scripts all day. That's why that first question is so important. 
In the literary world, the event that starts the story has a name. It's called the inciting incident. It's the thing that's so compelling that it rips your attention and keeps it until the climax of the movie. The inciting incident always happens in the first 10 minutes of a movie, and it tells you exactly what's going to happen in the last 10 minutes of that movie. This sounds like a bad thing, but it's actually great. All really good movies have it. The inciting incident creates tension from the first scene to the last because you know a big moment you care about is going to happen. Jaws has my favorite inciting incident of all time. The first scene of Jaws has two young drunk people on a beach doing young drunk people on a beach things. The girl tears off her clothes and runs into the ocean while the drunk guy behind her struggles to get his shoes off. All of a sudden, the girl's out there alone. It's dark and silent. The camera view changes. We're now in the water beneath the girl, looking at her feet. The camera gets closer, 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 then bam, we're back on the surface. She gets tugged and dragged down by the shark, eventually pulled under. End of scene. You never see the shark, but you know in that moment, you know the climax of the movie. There's going to be an epic fight between someone, our hero we don't know yet, and this shark. It's going to happen, and the hero is going to kill the shark. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen that movie already. There's no other way for this movie to end after that inciting incident. The parallels between startups and movie scripts are clear. My screenwriter friend slash Purell nemesis underlines the sentence about the inciting incident because he knows it's his only chance to be selfish. He needs that inciting incident to be compelling enough to create enough tension that the person at the movie studio reads the next page and the next and eventually builds enough momentum that they get to his big finish. You can think of this like a funnel. The inciting incident gets customers in the top of the funnel, gets them interested and engaged, and then it helps push them through to the bottom of the funnel where your real value is. Startups have the same thing. They need an inciting incident interesting enough to build the trust to get to the next step. I use this mental model of a funnel for our early stage founders. Not in the way traditional marketers think of a funnel, but just as a vehicle where your customers are going to live. You start with your funnel empty. Your first job as a founder is to fill the top. This requires a compelling, inciting incident, some sort of value that lets the customer say, I know I've never heard of this company. No one I know has ever heard of this company. They've got no testimonials, they've got no reviews, and the website looks like it was built with a potato. But I don't care. They're talking to me. The only way they could know I have the problem that they're describing is if they've been in my shoes. I'm going to give them a chance. Now, this doesn't mean that they'll buy your product. It just means that you've got them in the top of your funnel. They've read to the next page in your script. The first part of the selfish score, and I'll pop this in the show notes if you want to see the entire score sheet, measures this inciting incident. Extra points if the inciting incident is clear enough that people who aren't your customers will remember it so that they can tell people who might be. The inciting incident has everything to do with your differentiated value, your unexpected value. This always means very specific value. Smaller customer segment, bigger chance at specific, unique value. But I'm not harping on customer segments and the size of your customer base today for a change. I interviewed one of the founders of Rally Road the other day. Rally Road blew my selfish score to smithereens. They aced it, maybe better than any company I've ever seen. If you haven't heard it, you should definitely listen to it. Rally Road is a company that lets people invest in vintage cars, Rolexes, Birkin bags, the sort of things that are way out of people like you and my price range. It lets them invest in these as though they were a stock. If Rally Road can then turn around and sell that item for a profit, you make money. Their inciting incident is breathtakingly genius. Their website copy reads, Investments of the Rich, now available to all. This is compelling. I'm definitely turning to the next page of their script. 
Not surprisingly, Rally Road gets lots of people into the top of their funnel. But lots of startups do that. Pushing customers through the funnel is much harder. And this is where Rally Road really shines, and they can show you the way to grow. Startups live and die by the middle of the funnel. Most startups are able to get people in the top of the funnel. If you can't, you should probably just stop doing that startup. There's nothing there. The real trap, though, is once you've got people sort of interested, what do you do? You're going to need 5, 8, 10 interactions with the customers before they convert. This can kind of depend on the product you're selling and the price point, but actually not a ton. We've seen this stay consistent for products that are free all the way to B2B services selling for $10,000, $30,000 a month. Some touch points with customers will push you further than others, certainly. A testimonial from someone trusted, an article written about you, things like that. But those are hard to orchestrate early on. You'll likely need to create some sort of compelling content and push it over email, social, if you're a wacky new startup or dirty lemon, text. The mid-funnel is brutal for so many types of startups. Think about it. Let's say you're a brand. You've got a new athleisure sweatshirt you want to sell. Maybe you can send an email or two to people who sign up about the founding of the company, maybe something on social about how you source your materials, but it really comes down to new products and discounts. If you're a young business, there aren't a lot of new products. That's why we get so many emails about 30% off sales. The founders of these companies know people are way less likely to unsubscribe to sale emails at first, though they might eventually, and the companies have no other option. They want to be selfish. They want to take their customers' time and tell them that they've got a product they should look at and buy, a product that they'll love, but they don't have anything to say. Most companies get to the mid-funnel and they just tread water, or they slowly drown. Great companies get to the mid-funnel and thrive. Rally Road gets to the mid-funnel and absolutely shines. A few weeks ago, they auctioned off a pair of Jordans that Michael Jordan wore in the 1988 dunk contest. Rob composed a tweet storm, 18 meticulously researched and crafted tweets on the story of the shoes, the story of Nike, and the story of the shoe industry in general. It was fascinating, and it was retweeted hundreds of times. Not every one of those people will buy, probably a tiny fraction will, but the content is interesting, and most importantly, each retweet will get people into the top of his funnel. Rob was selfish with people's attention. He got them to look at his product, and he was so good at it that they did his job for him. 600 retweets are free. Getting in front of that same audience via Facebook ads or Instagram ads or whatever else would have been thousands of dollars and one one hundredth as effective. Rob tells me that they think of every product as its own little story. They package it so it fits perfectly in a group text. He knows that this is how he's going to get people in the top of his funnel and push them through that mid-funnel. The emails he sends are super compelling. You can sit in the mid-funnel of Rally Road for six months, watching interesting cars and shoes and watches and whatever else get IPO'd for huge amounts of money before something really catches your eye and you decide to convert and invest. So many startups talk about getting people into the funnel and converting them quickly, but I'm just not so sure that's what it's about. I'm more interested in two things. First, how long are you able to let customers marinate in that mid-funnel while you're aggressively adding to the top of the funnel, setting you up for growth down the line? And second, is the content that keeps them in the mid-funnel evergreen? For Rally Road, I'm just as interested in the story of the 1988 Jordans today as I would be in two years. I'm probably not investing either way, but it's really interesting to me, and the value compounds. 
It lets me learn about how the company works. It lets me see other people like me be successful. And this evergreen content can just be churned over and over and over again. So Rob doesn't have to create new interesting flows for new customers. Something he made three years ago is going to push people through the funnel as effectively now as it did then. The tension builds. Eventually, people jump in. So their bottom of funnel growth may look slow, but the mid funnel is growing and moving like a glacier. It's slow, but it's powerful. It's sustainable. Mid funnel health is a predictor of massive growth in the future, and Rally Road engineers their product to optimize for it. And that's why, a few years in, they're growing like mad. I said I would only focus on one of my Purell slash Nemesis's literary prompts today, but there's one more that makes a lot of sense here, along with a quote I heard in another podcast recently. The sixth prompt on his page says, write something worth reading or do something worth writing about. Your mid-funnel strategy needs to be interesting or helpful or nostalgic or shareable, something, not to everyone, but to your customer. So many B2B companies try to keep you in the mid-funnel with white papers or blogs they read about their process. That stuff stinks. Mid-funnel is for B2B too, and you need to be thoughtful about it. The mid-funnel strategy can't just be me, 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 and camouflage. Mid-funnel is your chance to solve problems, to give the absolute best you've got before people buy. They won't convert early on if you don't give them value, so spill your guts. Don't hold anything back. Give them the good stuff. The second thing I heard recently was from another podcast you should listen to only after you've listened to all of our episodes, rated, reviewed, unsubscribed, resubscribed, rated and reviewed again, is from the good folks at Buffer. The podcast is called Breaking Brand, and it's on Gin Lane's ascent in New York City and their transition to their new company pattern. The quote, I don't remember it exactly, so I'm paraphrasing, is that your brand needs something consumers can hold you accountable for. You need that inciting incident to be powerful enough that you get customers to the mid-funnel, and then they hold you accountable while you deliver on the promise that got them interested in the first place. Eventually, you'll push them to convert. Conversion is the third pillar of the selfish score. Does your mid-funnel engagement eventually push customers to convert? Travel startups have amazing top-of-funnel and mid-funnel growth. Looking at incredible trips will always be interesting and get tons of eyeballs. Their problem is conversion. How do they create urgency for something that happens once a year? How do they line it up perfectly with your schedule and wants and needs? That's why a third of our applications to Tacklebox are travel startups, and that's why the space is still wide open. Conversion is way harder than top and mid funnel for travel startups. The point here is that the selfish score, your funnel, is not going to be the same as everyone else's startup. You're going to start with things that are inherently easier or harder. You'll have to build for them. Here's the final and pretty controversial point of all of this. What the selfish score really does is it measures your ability to stay the hell away from Facebook, Instagram, and Google AdWords. It tests your ability to grab attention from customers without emptying your pockets on the empty calories that come from those ad buys. It's fine to resort to those once you're venture-backed, because then you can afford to play in those venture-inflated playgrounds. But Facebook and Instagram and Google AdWords just scream one thing to me early on. You don't understand your customers well enough, and top and mid-funnel aren't compelling enough. You don't have a real strategy to get people excited about what you're doing. That might sound harsh, but that's the whole point of this podcast series. Your time is worthwhile. Your opportunity cost is huge. If you're going to build something successful, you need to have a strategy around top and mid-funnel that you can control. You need to orchestrate it like Rob does. You need to think about how people will engage with and share mid-funnel. 
You need to optimize for text or for conversion or whatever. When you need eyeballs for a podcast episode, you need to be able to ping people in a way they enjoy. Or you need to be so overwhelmingly profitable that you can afford to buy eyeballs and convert them through brute force. Now you know why my plea for you at the beginning of the episode is so hollow. There's no value in it for you. I'm being selfish for me, but not providing you anything. The selfish score forces you to create a strategy around the story of your product, to create a narrative that'll pull people in and get them to the next page. Reach out if you need help doing it and check out the show notes or gettacklebox.com for the selfish score outline that'll make this way easier. Let me know how many points you've got. I can tell you how you stack up with all the other startups we work with. Have a great week. And as always, head to gettacklebox.com if you've got a startup idea you want to run through our gauntlet. Early stage founders only. And finally, if you're still listening, you hopefully got some value. So please do give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps us grow big time. 